0: How many of you in here have a good fishing story, whether it's true or false? (laughs) How many of you have heard a good fishing story that's either true or false, or or maybe even told one that's true or false? Anybody? Yep, Bill, amen. Sure, you've heard a few too. How many of you at times when you're hearing someone tell a fishing story, you think to yourself as it's being told, you know, I believe there's truth to this story, but there are certainly details that I believe have been added, have been exaggerated for emphasis. Normally the way these stories are are told, the fisherman is alone, right? There's no one there to verify the story. It's kind of like if you hit a hole in one, no one was there to see you, right? And see you kick it in. Uh, fish gets bigger and bigger with each telling of the story and there are no pictures because somehow it, it got away. Lack of evidence. There's a reason why it's called a whale of a tale, right? Well, if you have your Bible's turn to Luke chapter 5, this morning we're going to learn of a whale of a truth. We are going to learn of an unbelievable fishing story that is in fact true. There were many witnesses to verify this incredible story. And the, the details of what happens with this miraculous catch of fish at an inopportune time in an unlikely place amazes one skilled fisherman to such an extent that he is brought to his knees before Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke, focusing in. On Jesus' ministry in Galilee. The passage we're going to study this morning has three scenes, and in each scene, Jesus says or does something that results in a response by his audience. So we're going to look at these three scenes, we're going to look at what Jesus says and does, and we are going to look at the responses and what we learn. From his teaching, from what he does, and from the responses of his hearers. In verses 1 through 3, we see Jesus teaching the multitudes and we see their response. In verses 4 through 10, we learn of Jesus' miraculous work that he does through fishing through his disciples fishing and we're gonna look at the response of one disciple in particular the response of Peter and in verses 10 through 11 we are going to see Jesus's high calling of his disciples and we're going to look at their response throughout the book of Luke Luke has been following this pattern as he tells of Jesus' earthly ministry, as he tells his story. He is putting Jesus before his readers and he's telling of his great person and teachings and work. And he also explains the response to Jesus and our response and what it should be and what it should not be in light of who Jesus is, what he says and does. So that's a great way to study the Gospel of Luke. Study What Jesus is doing what Jesus is saying right what what Jesus does who he is what he says and then the response whether good or bad to him and then look at what our response should be so let's examine these three scenes notice first Jesus's teachings and the response of the multitude look beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5 on one occasion While the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So notice here we're told on one occasion Probably shortly after the events of Luke chapter 4 when when Jesus was ministering in Capernaum and he was doing great miracles and he was casting out demons and he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God on an occasion after those events as Jesus is growing in popularity and in influence we're told the crowds were pressing in on him for what reason? Watch this, to hear the word of God. That's why they were there. Jesus is teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and people are crowding in. They're moving closer and closer to him. I can see it, can't you? They're, they're pressing in on him. They're gathering close to him to hear the word of God from him. Probably getting too close, keeping his voice from carrying to those in the back. So what Jesus decides to do is move back a bit from the group. But he has trouble doing that because he's got the water behind him we know he can walk on water he doesn't do it here okay but he's got the water behind him so he gets out on on peter's boat and he has peter put him out a little bit on the sea and he teaches them from the sea now that detail is key that he has peter do this for him jesus acknowledges that Simon is the one with the knowledge when it comes to boats and when it comes to the sea and when it comes to fishing that's important because here in just a moment Jesus is going to tell Peter to do something in regards to fishing that is going to sound strange to a skilled fisherman but notice here we're told he asked for the professional to put him out A little ways in the sea and jesus taught the people from the boat jesus had to do that to properly address the crowd and notice they had gathered to hear the word of god from him that is encouraging that detail right there Because oftentimes during Jesus' earthly ministry, a crowd is gathered to see him, but sometimes they're there just to see this miracle worker. They want to see him work miracles. Other times they are gathered to try to catch him off guard, to try to stump him by asking him difficult questions. And also we learn later on that there will be a crowd gathered to witness Jesus being put on trial and beaten and crucified but here they're here for the right reason to hear the Word of God from him that is the right reason to be gathered to Christ and folks that should be your reason for being here today that is the reason why we have gathered you should gather in this place to hear the the word of the Lord from the preaching of his word that's why you are to be here Is that your reason for being here today did you wake up this morning thinking to yourself I cannot wait to hear from the Lord today what he has to say to me and to his people from his word with them if not that should be your motivation we should accept no other motivation that's what we need most not interesting stories not entertainment we need the word period end of story do you want the word do you hunger for the word do you long for the word are you being satisfied by the preaching of the word you're going to be challenged again this week in your study guide be sure and check that out to be more devoted In your time spent in the word it should be the first thing on your mind each and every morning but especially on Sunday morning and it should be the reason why you come here and it should be what you receive when you get here the word do you long for the word do you hunger for it do you want it are you satisfied when it is given next next scene Notice also Jesus' miracle and the response of Peter. Look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so both began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So so let me recap what we have here. Jesus is preaching the word of God to the multitude from Peter's boat at sea, and when he was finished, we're told he sends Simon out into the deep to, to go again at fishing. For another go at fishing, right? He has called for him to go fishing in a strange location at an inopportune time during the day after a fruitless night of fishing. Notice they're finished for the day. We're told in verse 2 that their boats are docked and they are washing their nets. Now this is where context helps us. I read that they're more than likely they're using drag nets and it was important that after they were used for these nets to be washed and stretched out to dry so that they would not rot and break. So this took time to do. The fact that they're taking time to do this shows us that they're finished for the day. They have no intention to go back out. It didn't make sense to them because at night would have been the time when they would have caught the most fish in the shallow waters not in the daytime while the fish are in the deep Jesus calls them to go out into the deep waters in the middle of the day and notice while Peter eventually goes he does not let what Jesus calls for them to do go without comment that's typical Peter right he says master we've told all night and we took nothing in other words, Jesus, we've gone out at the most opportune time in the perfect place, we stayed all night, and we caught nothing. What's implied here is, very, very simple, if we caught nothing at the most opportune time in the most opportune place, then why would we go out again at the most inopportune time in the most inopportune place? Makes sense, right? But notice, Peter trusts christ he says but at your word i will let down the nets they go back out into the deep waters in the day and when they let their nets down the number of fish they catch is so large that their strong nets begin to break they have to signal another ship over they fill both boats and both begin to sink now that's a fishing story isn't it amazing I think we can safely assume here that the number of fish they caught that almost busted their nets and almost sank two boats is unique. In fact, we know it is because of what Peter does next. Peter knows what he's witnessed is a miracle. He's a fisherman. He knows no one goes out in this place at this time of day in this location and haul in so much fish that these strong dragnets begin to break and it almost sinks two boats. This did not happen. Immediately, Peter is overwhelmed. He knows he's in the presence of the Lord, which is why we're told what we're told in verse 8. Look at it. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord for he and all who are with him were astonished. Now that word means it means to be struck, to be overwhelmed with emotion. It's a different word than the word translated astonished that we looked at last week. This is the only time this particular word occurs in the Greek New Testament. And it means that Peter was shook to the core, floored by what he had seen. This shook Peter and the others he was astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken verse 10 and also were James and John sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon Peter thought he was the expert at fishing the expert of the sea until he came in contact with the lord of the sea Peter knew that he was in the presence of holiness, in the presence of the one who is sovereign over creation, and Peter is shook. He is fearful and he is humbled. Notice he has like an Isaiah-type response to Jesus. Darkness retracts from the light, right? That's what Peter is wanting here when he is in the presence of the light of the world and seeing Jesus for who he truly is, Peter sees himself more for who he truly is and he calls for Christ to depart from him. He says, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This is reminiscent of what Isaiah said when he saw the Lord in Isaiah 6. Listen to what Isaiah said Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have you ever had this type of experience in the presence of the Lord? Have you ever come to the understanding of your sinfulness and your deep need in the presence of the holiness of God when you study about Him and His Word and when you gather with His people? If not, I would argue that you haven't seen Him for who He truly is because this is the way God's people respond. When in the presence of God, they see their sinfulness. They see their need of forgiveness, their their need for pardon, for salvation how does Jesus respond to Peter notice into verse 10 he says do not be afraid do not be afraid why does he say this should Peter have been afraid I believe he should have been should he have responded the way that he did was it right for him to be fearful in the presence of holy God yes then then why does Jesus call for him to not be afraid listen while Jesus should be feared as our our righteous and holy judge God the Son the Lord of all creation the sovereign over everything while it's right for a Peter a, a sinner like Peter a sinner like like you and and me to cower before the Lord of glory Jesus lets him he lets you and me know that there is no nothing to fear for those who are in him because he has come for this reason to call sinners to himself to save them, to bring them back in through him. Peter responds properly to the Lord here. He acknowledges his sin. He bows before King Jesus, and Jesus responds by letting him know, you have nothing to fear because I have come near. That's great news, isn't it? Believers, have you praised God lately for his salvation? The salvation that he has accomplished for you through his son that is received from you by faith? When's the last time you took time to praise the Lord for your salvation? Do you realize that because of your faith in Christ, you have nothing to fear because God the son has come near a reason to rejoice. Christ has come to live, die, and rise again in order to save us and draw us near to God through Him, to reconcile us to God through His great person and work. You have nothing to fear because God the Son has come near. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not responded to Jesus in this way like Peter does here. You've not confessed your sin, forsaken that sin, fallen at the feet of King Jesus. If not, I urge you today to respond like Peter does here. He realizes that he is wrecked apart from Christ. And Jesus draws him to himself and calls for him to not be afraid because he has come to provide salvation for Peter and all who see their need of him. Jesus hints at the fact here that this great provision of fish that he has provided for Peter and his disciples does not compare to the great provision that he will provide for them and all who trust in him alone for salvation. Jesus will make an even greater provision for his followers by providing forgiveness of sin, his imputed righteousness, and life eternal. He has come to seek and save the lost. He has come to call wayward sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. He has come to call for those whom he has come to seek and save. He has come to call them to then go and seek out other followers of him as well. That's what we learn in our third point. Look at it. Jesus' calling and the response of the disciples Look at the end of verse 10 and verse 11. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, before we explain this verse, let me clear some Confusion that some have with Jesus' calling here in Luke chapter 5. He has already called Andrew and Peter before this time during the ministry of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, which many believe would have been about a year prior to this event here. So these brothers have been called to follow Jesus about a year prior, but for a temporary time, and then they went back to fishing, and then here in Luke chapter 5 Jesus calls them again for a more extended following of him right a more extended period of time a more permanent calling he calls for them to completely abandon their occupations and follow him full-time and and we will see them return to fishing one last time remember during Jesus' post-resurrection ministry, he appears to them again on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. In John chapter 21, there's another miraculous catch of fish. Then he calls them and commissions them. Peter, in particular, calls for him to feed his sheep. And they go and they follow him permanently at that time. And remember, Peter ends up, uh, history books tell us, in Rome where he is martyred for his, for his faith under Nero. All right? So they go back, then he calls them out again. Back to this passage. Here, Jesus is calling for them to leave their nets behind, enter into ministry with him. He calls for them to be fishers of men. We see the purpose behind this miracle, don't we, in what Jesus says. Jesus has deep, significant spiritual reasons behind most of the things he says and does. And here we see that this miraculous catch of fish is a metaphor for the work God has called for his disciples to do. They are to go out and be fishers of men. They are to go and catch people. He is calling for them to prioritize this ministry. As his disciples, they're to go, they're to find lost sheep and lead them to the good shepherd. They're to go and seek out sinners, condemned and unclean and lead them to the one who can forgive and cleanse and restore. These men are fishing for their livelihood. Jesus shows up and calls for them to leave that profession behind and fish for men, for the joy of mankind, and for the glory of God. And how do they respond? Look at it. They respond like they should. They left everything and followed Him. Their priorities changed. Their direction in life changed because their hearts were changed. Their lives were changed. When lives are changed, priorities are to change. Our want-tos are to change. Have you been changed from the inside out? Believers, have you left everything to follow Jesus? I'm not talking about full-time Christian service like preaching in a pulpit somewhere maybe that is the call for for some of you in here I know it's the call for some some in in the church we're supposed to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers to go labor and, and there are some here we all need to consider the call to go have you done that believers we're all to have our yes on the table before God calls is your yes on the table And if so, and if he's called, have you faithfully answered that call to go? Calling for the disciples was to go. For others, the call was for them to forsake all and to follow Christ, which meant them returning to their places of influence with a new set of priorities to make an impact there for Christ. Believers, have you answered this call? You know, we've all been called as believers. It doesn't matter if you're in full-time Christian service or not, whether you're in the workplace or in the home, wherever you are, your first calling is to be a Great Commission Christian. God has put you in the position that you're in by his providence to be fishers of men. Are you being faithful to that call? Have you left everything to follow Jesus have you prioritized this calling that God has placed on all of our lives over every other calling you're going to be challenged again in your study guide this week to answer this call to go you're going to be you're going to be asked to consider full-time Christian service to put your yes out there on the table before he even asks you're going to be challenged to make the commitment to be great Commission Christians in the workplace and in the home it was Charles Spurgeon who once said this look at this quote up on the screen every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter I love that true JD Greer In his great book, Gaining by Losing, said it in this way. He said, we don't have to find God's will because it's not lost. His will is that we be involved in His mission. True. Later in the book, Greer says this, The Great Commission is not the calling for some believers. It is a mandate for all believers. Believers, are you being faithful to the calling that God has placed on your life to be fishers of men? If not, I urge you to respond like the disciples do here in Luke chapter 5. Dock your boats, drop your nets, and follow Jesus. Before you can do that, first and foremost, for you, Make this a priority must first have a change of heart must be transformed from the inside out have you been changed do you belong to God are you trusting in his son Jesus alone for your salvation have you been transformed by the Spirit of God from the inside out. Have you come to the place where, where Peter was in this story? Have you come to terms with the fact that you are a sinner who stands condemned before a holy God? And have you, in response to that reality, bowed the knee to King Jesus? Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, says it in this way. Look at this quote up on the screen. It is one thing to be a sinner and deny it, It is another to know who you are before God and humbly bow before Him. That's what I invite you to do. Humbly bow before the Lord of glory. King Jesus, make Him Lord today. If you have not, I urge you today, forsake your sin. Give your life to Jesus today so you can be restored to God so that you can then go out and seek out other lost sheep to bring to the good shepherd. Let's pray together.